Hi, uh, good morning. Welcome to Boom It's on the Blockchain. We have a special guest with us today, Adam Bloomberg. How are you, Adam? Doing great, Alistair. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. And over in Miami, uh, we've got Garrett coming in today. How are you, Garrett, in Miami? I'm doing good. It's good to be out here. It's um, sunny and beautiful. So Perfect. So, uh, so yeah, so well, let's just kick things off for yourself, Adam. Give a bit of background about yourself and then, you know, your expertise in the, the market space. Sure. Thanks. So I am a, uh, a certified financial planner. I've been in financial services for uh, well over a decade and started, um, you know, went down the, the crypto proverbial crypto blockchain rabbit hole several years ago and started just telling everyone about it, started really trying to understand it. What I got really excited about was the technology and eventually where it went uh, when we saw DeFi or decentralized finance come about. Um, and, you know, back in, uh, let's see, early or, or late or mid 2019, my partner Ron and I started a YouTube channel that we called Interaxis. And the idea was, let's just explain crypto and DeFi to people. Let's not try to get them to buy it. Or, or get them to trade it or anything. Let's just explain it to them. And that eventually morphed into a course to teach financial advisors, which we were uh, financial advisors about crypto, because we felt like uh, people would need their financial advisor to understand it if they wanted to start investing or if they wanted to start adopting, they would need their financial advisor because that to us is when it goes from a speculation to an investment. And so now... We, you know, we, we have a course that we teach. We've taught over 400 financial advisors that have gone through a course that we call Certified Digital Asset Advisor. Uh, we have a certification designation. Uh, we have a DAO that owns that certification called Planner DAO. But Interaxis now is also helping financial advisors get on on uh, on chain, I guess, get get into crypto. So it goes past just educating. Now, now we're kind of the gateway. So we uh, we will teach them about it. We will consult with them to try to figure out what their tech stack is going to be, what their compliance needs are, what their conversations and, and what their education is. And then we will we will help some of the you know protocols, some of the compliance, some of the funds with their due diligence. And lastly, we you know now have a subscription called Interaxis Plus that allows them to keep up to date because we all know that crypto changes all the time. So it's really important once you have this base level of knowledge to stay up to date so that you can continue to have conversations, that you can continue to um, understand what's out there, what your opportunities are. Uh, so now we have something called Interaxis Plus. So it's going all the way from financial advisors who know little to nothing about crypto all the way through implementing due diligence, compliance, and now keeping up to date. Right. Okay. So, so, so if a financial planner right now, what's driving them to learn more about crypto? Their customers basically coming to them saying they want to start holding part of their ownership in crypto or what do you think is the driving force for this? You know, what's funny is when, when we started this, when we started the course, our thought was we want to teach financial planners so that they can maybe get some of their clients to allocate like three to 5% to crypto. And we thought, you know, for sure that would be in funds or, or with custodians or something. What we found, honestly, Alistair, is um, financial advisors are finding more prospects, more new clients, I guess, that have a significant amount of crypto that they've just been looking for an advisor who knows about it. 
They've just been looking for an advisor who can help. And is it going to make them sell it? Is it going to make them go, all right, you know, get out of your Bitcoin and let's put everything you have in an S&P fund. Um, so that's, th that's really what's driving it is they have clients or they have prospects that already have crypto and they want to be able to have those conversations about it. And they're also seeing that there are so many out there that, that look, this is a niche, right? We talk in financial planning about having some sort of niche and this is a pretty good one right now. This is a way to get in with um, relatively wealthy people. It's a way to get in with, with the, you know, the next generation of investors, the next generation of my clients. So if my clients are near retirement age, um, their kids, like a way, a way to get to, you know, keep the money in the family or, or keep, keep the business in the family, I guess. Um, th that's kind of what's driving them is, is wanting to be able to have those conversations about this asset class, even if they're not going to manage it, even if they're not going to say, I'm going to charge you an AUM fee to manage your assets. They at least want to be able to have the conversations. And, and honestly, we've had several advisors go through that are not even allowed to manage it for clients, but they, they care enough to go through six weeks and pay money to learn about it that, they because their clients own it and, and they want to be able to talk to them about it. Yeah. So so if you're thinking of the, the current crypto market right now, well, I'll just bring this up there. So it's uh, the crypto crash, you know, it went down to 18,000 for Bitcoin. I know crypto crash, but, you know, we have to talk about Bitcoin because sort of everyone follows yeah. suit there as well. So, so, so how do you advise again about this one? That's what I'm interested to hear. How do I advise about it? Well, about it, yeah. There's a difference, obviously, between talking to clients about it and talking to advisors who talk to clients about it. But right. the big, big part of it is one: educate. What happened? Right. Let's talk about what has what has transpired in the last, I don't know, a few months. And if we if we look at what happened for for a couple of years during COVID, right, starting in you know, after the, after the big crash, right? March of 2020, yep. when everything shut down, Bitcoin dropped 50% one day, ETH dropped like 60%. The stock market dropped a tremendous amount because no one knew it was going to happen, right? The world was shutting down. Well, Lo and behold, yeah. the government comes Very to true. our aid and, and the government prints trillions and trillions of dollars, which is exactly the use case that a bunch of Bitcoiners were talking about, right? Inflation's coming. Now, all of a sudden, we're going to have mega super inflation. Um, and, and then you have the likes of Paul Tudor Jones coming in and saying, I'm going to allocate some to crypto because we think this inflation's coming and it didn't come and it didn't come, but everyone started buying Bitcoin. Look, part of it is everyone started buying everything. They were on Robinhood. They yeah. were buying meme stocks. They were buying Tesla, Netflix, they're buying Peloton, GameStop, all of those things. Everything went up. And, and if you, if you look back at a chart of all that, it was all false. It was a false economy. It was everyone sitting at home doing nothing, but they had a bunch of free money from the government. They had time to chat with each other. They had access to Robinhood and Coinbase and, and everything. And everyone just started trading everything up. And it was crazy what happened. Um, and if you look at charts from the last two years, whether it's NASDAQ stocks, tech stocks, meme stocks, Bitcoin, crypto, whatever, it's, it's not accurate to what's actually happening in the economy ever. Like that, that won't happen again for a while. And we can just kind of take that out. So... You have that. Now, during that time, of course, you had everyone and their mother trying to build new cryptocurrencies and new chains and, and launch new things and, and um, raise a bunch of money. And you had a tremendous amount of money being raised by venture capitalists and by hedge funds uh, in the crypto world. And because of that, you had a tremendous amount of leverage being taken on. They said, oh, well, Bit there's no way Bitcoin's going to go down below 30 again. Right. So we might as well, if I have Bitcoin, I might as well use it as collateral and borrow more money and buy more Bitcoin. 
not going to borrow yeah. it to you know to do anything else. I'm just going to buy more Bitcoin. And in the wake of all that, you had a bunch of people going, oh, well, my my brother-in-law made you know 100x on this token, so I'm going to try to do it. Or my brother-in-law is making 800% on this other thing. I'm going to try to do it. And that's when you right. get you individuals, individual investors getting in trouble, right? They, they were buying things they didn't understand. They were getting involved in protocols they didn't understand. They were trying to make unreasonable returns. Um, and, and I'm just setting up what happened with this, this crypto crash, right? So in the meantime, what like November of last year, Bitcoin hits a peak, NASDAQ hits a peak, everything hits a peak and starts coming down. Why? Because we kind of started reopening and we realized like, we don't need Zoom as much anymore. And we're not going to hang out in our Pelotons anymore because we actually want to go outside. And we're actually going to start traveling. We're going to start using up gas. And all of these things started happening. And we go, you know what? Maybe all these stocks shouldn't be valued as high as they are. Um, we have supply chain issues. How is Tesla going to keep producing cars when they can't get parts? Um, all of those things started happening. And on top of that, everyone was, wow, there's a lot more money out there. There's a lot more dollars out there. Maybe everything shouldn't be worth quite as much. So... Or maybe the dollar shouldn't be worth quite as much because there's so many of them. And everything just right. started, you know, slowly, slowly, slowly falling. Well, in the traditional world, you have you have checks and balances around too much leverage, right? You can't have too much leverage in the, in the traditional world. In the crypto world, you can kind of have as much as you want. Like there's not a whole lot of checks and balances. And again, no one thought Bitcoin was going to go back below $30,000. And you still had individual investors who felt like they missed out or, you know, they, they bought in pretty high and, and they saw crypto come down and they're like, well, I'm now we've hit a bottom. I'm going to put more money in and it's going to go back up here from $30,000. Um, so you, you had all these things coming together. You have the crypto uh, markets coming down. You have all the other markets coming down. You have inflation peaking up, all these things happening. And then you have Terra happen, right? Terra, the, the crypto network, um, the, the, we had the, the crash from UST, got depegged. Uh, Terra was worth, what, $40 billion at one point, currently worth nothing or virtually nothing. $40 billion out of the economy. And by the way, Terra had to sell a whole bunch of Bitcoin in, in order to, to try to keep themselves solvent. That's a lot of Bitcoin to go on a market when people aren't ready to trade right now. They're not ready to come in and buy. So it sent the price down even further. Well, in, in the meantime, you have a bunch of uh, groups like Celsius that pretended to be exchanges or pretended to be custodians. In reality, they were just hedge funds and they were extremely leveraged on Bitcoin and they started to get margin calls and they didn't have the cash to, to fulfill their margin. And same thing happened with a monster hedge fund out of Asia called Three Arrows Capital that, that they, should have been, they should have known, right? They're, crypto, they're a crypto hedge fund. They should have known what to do, but they thought the same thing. There's no way this will go, keep going down. And they got over leveraged and they bought the wrong assets. They didn't know how to manage their risk. And unfortunately, it just drove, keeps driving the price down. There's no circuit breakers on crypto. It trades 24 seven, 365 all over the world. Uh, the volumes can change tremendously day to day. So in, you know, in the regular stock markets, in, in the regular equities markets and debt markets and everything else, you have relatively the same volume almost every day, right? You have market makers on both sides. You have the same number of people on both sides. In crypto, you don't have that. You might have days where no one wants to buy and everyone's selling. And so the price just keeps trickling down and down and down, which triggers more margin, margin calls, more people getting liquidated. Price keeps going down. And here we are. And, and honestly, we call it a crash. As I said, if we take out the last couple of years of 
of what is a fake economy, which, which what it was. I mean, it's a fake economy when literally no one can go anywhere. And we go, Bitcoin was at 7,500 before COVID. It's at 20,000 now. That's a pretty decent return, right? I'd take 3X on my money in, in two years, any day of the week. Okay, so it's a crash from where it was. And I know a lot of people got hurt and a lot of people got in near the peak and lost a lot of money. And it seems like it's going against this inflation hedge narrative. Um, but if we really look at what has happened from March of 2020 until now, it's actually done what it's supposed to do. It just so happens that it, there was a lot of noise in between. And maybe I'm right. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Like, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to spin it positive, of course. Um, and, and you ask Garrett, what would I say? Like, how do you advise on that? You, what you advise on it is if I'm investing in, in Bitcoin in particular, why am I doing it? Am I doing it to hedge inflation? At what point did I get in? How much am I allocating? Am I only going to put a small amount? And therefore, look, I, I'm OK with the volatility. If I'm an advisor talking to clients about it, I better have alerted them to the volatility. I better have talked about what our investment thesis is. And maybe now is the time that we get back together and we go, look, has anything changed from an investment thesis perspective? And if the answer is not really, now we're starting to get inflation. Uh, we've taken a lot of leverage out of the market. I honestly think it'll still go down a little bit from here. I think the, I think we haven't seen all the ramifications of this. I think the economy still gets hit a little harder. Um, look, I, I forgot to say somewhere in there, kind of a war started, right? We, we cut off an entire monster economy from or, or a monster country from the world economy in the meantime. That's kind of a big deal, right? Europe doesn't have access to a whole lot of gas other than from Russia. That's kind of a big deal, right? So all these things are happening at the same time. And we've kind of seen some good use cases for crypto in the meantime, right? You've seen people in Ukraine raise money with crypto. You've seen them actually be able to get out of the country with nothing but their crypto. You see, I mean, whether, whether you agree with it or not, you see Russians who are cut off from the world financial system able to actually use Bitcoin and use, and use decentralized finance to, to still partake. And honestly, like not, not all Russians are bad people. So uh, they, maybe they should be able to still partake in the world economy. Um, the, there are all these kind of good reasons, good ways that, that crypto is actually going to be contributing and the, and the networks are, are still working. The networks are staying around. It's just whatever we, the, the value we've placed on it is coming down. That's all. So, so I apologize. It was a really short question and an incredibly yeah, long answer. a good answer to it as well. So yeah, because you look at, so how, how would you explain to people now? Because essentially crypto and Bitcoin was seen to be operating out with economies. You know, and the, the likes of Coinbase and Kraken and all that trading on the NASDAQ. How much is like Bitcoin now connected to the economy? The important work, of course, 15 years ago. Well, I don't know if it's that connected at all. What, what we're seeing right now is Bitcoin and, and most of crypto. So Bitcoin is really trading like a tech stock. Right. And, and I think part of that is that's a lot of the people that got into it in the last two years it was the same people that were trading GameStop and Tesla and and Peloton were trading Bitcoin. So when one goes down, the others go down, they, they all move together and the rest of the crypto market moves with Bitcoin. Right. It, it's it's all money in the, the crypto world. So it. I don't know that enough people, enough institutions necessarily have looked at it from the perspective of, is this really a store of value? Is this really an inflation hedge? From what I hear from those talking to those institutions, they say they've been doing their homework. 
they're actually kind of happy about all this because now they can get back in at 20. They, they felt like they missed out on 20,000 before they can get back in here. It's a pretty good area to get back in if that's their investment thesis. Look, we're finally seeing inflation. This is what we've been thinking is going to happen for honestly 15 years of QE. We've actually been wanting some sort of inflation and we've never gotten it. And now, of course, we get way too much of it, unfortunately. We've been asking for the market to correct. For years, we've been asking the market to correct. And now it corrects and everyone goes, oh, man, I don't want a correction. Now, I don't want a recession. Well, we need it. It's healthy. It, it sucks for a lot of people. But you need to take a lot of froth out of the market. You need people to reevaluate what real what, what, what the valuations are. And I don't right now, honestly, for, for the last several months, Bitcoin has, has been operating no different than any other NASDAQ stock. Um, but I think that now uh, I think people can really look at it, really look at all the other NASDAQ stocks, all the other tech stocks, everything else in the economy and go, OK, now that we're kind of reopening, where are we? Let, let's take the let's take where we were before. We're reopening. We have 10 trillion more dollars in the world. We have a major country invading another country. We have gas prices really high. Oil prices really high. Energy prices high. Supply chain issues. What does that mean for for price of Bitcoin, what does that mean for price of other equities? Now let's let's start valuing them, and, and I think that's the the place we're going to go. And probably after the summer is when we're really going to see movement. I, I don't know if it's movement up or movement down or or whatever, but I think people are kind of taking the summer to enjoy the fact that they can actually travel again, and then we're, we're going to see some movement. And and look, I'm not an economist. I'm definitely enjoying that. I'm enjoying them being able to travel again. <laughs> oh, I'm I'm loving being able to travel, man. That like. It's it's fantastic. I'm definitely taking advantage of, of every chance I can I can get to get out, travel again, enjoy, you know, being outdoors and, and seeing different places again. And honestly, I've been going to conferences. Uh, I've been seeing people that I've only interacted with on Zoom for the last two years, which has been great to actually meet them in person. Um, it, it's been a, a, it's been great to actually see people. Right. For because for two years, we said this is how the world is going to be. This is how business is going to be now. It's all going to be virtual. And in reality, we really want to see each other. Yeah. I mean, unless you're Alistair, you, you and I, Alistair, you and I met at a conference three years ago, like in person. That was the first time yeah, we met yeah. was at a exactly. conference here in Houston three years ago. We haven't seen each other again since. Yeah. Oh, it, it makes. A, a I didn't know you were Houston based. I'm uh, typically up in Austin. So it's good okay. to know. <laughs> I wish I were typically up in Austin. Mm. But it's, uh, but yeah, no, I, I agree with that as well. I think the the high oil price is obviously, and then then it comes back to like you know what was Biden's energy policy, how it's all sort of started with that. You know, every day he's trying to find someone else to blame, which is understandable, as you said. You've you've given all the reasons why Bitcoin's been affected, and this has affected the general U.S. economy. But then again, it comes back to this thing of, you know, if he if you increase domestic supply in terms of this ability to be producing oil here, but more of a runway, you can't just just turn it on now. And it's like, oh, well, it's it's coming up to the July 4th weekend. Let's just have a, uh, reduce the taxes on the uh, oil and gas production and then it'll go down in the pumps and everything will be fixed. I think that's a, I don't even know if they're end up going to do that as well. But it's amazing to know how like this technology coming along is creating more transparency to the market space as well. Because suddenly you've got other countries. So, yeah, I want to get your viewpoint on places like El Salvador 
in Panama now accepting Bitcoin as a, as a currency. How do you think that's going to go forward then? Um, I, I think, uh, look, when, they start, when El Salvador started with that, I said, well, this is going to be a fun experiment, right? Like we, we knew if anyone was going to do it first, it was going to have to be some smaller country. And El Salvador is kind of perfect, right? And what they basically came out and said was, we're tired of our peso being pegged to the dollar two to one. We're tired of the Fed determining how much our money is worth. And therefore, we're going to, we can choose to completely depeg and manage it ourselves. Or we can choose this other digital asset. And they went with the, the digital asset. And they said, not only, remember, not only did they say, you can accept it as currency, but you must accept it, right? It, it was a, every retailer there has to accept Bitcoin if I want to pay in Bitcoin. And the great part is, you know, you, you look on Twitter and LinkedIn, you see people posting receipts from Starbucks and McDonald's and stuff in, in El Salvador where they paid with Bitcoin and they're so excited to show it, which I think is really cool. I mean, that, that's what that's what Bitcoin and that was that's part of what crypto was created for, right, was to be a medium of exchange. That's what it should be. And in the meantime, you have El Salvador buying a bunch of Bitcoin and mining Bitcoin and the cool part, you know, using a volcano, which we think is cool science fiction stuff. Um, but. I think it's interesting that that, you know, those countries are doing it because they kind of it's their way of stepping out and going, we kind of want to be on our own. We don't want to be under the thumb of the U.S. all the time. But why are we going to go create our own our, our own Federal Reserve, our, our own banking system like that? Why are we going to have our own Treasury Department that determines the value of our peso when there's this perfectly good digital way to do it? They've been doing it for 13 years. They got a really safe network. Let's just try that. I mean, they, they don't have a whole lot to lose, quite honestly. They're getting a lot of tourists that just want to spend their Bitcoin, uh, which is a good thing. Um, it, it's I think it's great. And the other thing it's doing, Alistair, honestly, is it's it's progressing the need to be able to pay in Bitcoin. It's progressing the tools that we need that to utilize Bitcoin and, and other crypto assets eventually as a medium of exchange and not just hold them on our wallets and hope they go up in value. So it's progressing this need and, and this ability to, for, for retailers or for people in El Salvador to actually own crypto, to have their own wallets and not have everything be subject to a bank, not have everything be sitting in a bank. So, you know, like earning Bitcoin, whether it's because I sold you a cup of coffee or because I, I earned it for my pay is the ultimate on-ramp. I don't need to ask my bank's permission for that right I, I don't need to ask my country's permission that's the ultimate on-ramp and once i have earned bitcoin by virtue of the fact that i sold you a burger or something like that well now i have it in a wallet i never have to put that in a bank again right if i'm in el salvador and everyone has to accept bitcoin and i made you a bunch of burgers and you paid for it well now i can go pay my rent in bitcoin right so i, I can do all these other things but once i have i have crypto in my wallet well now i need I need other facilities, right? I need lending facilities. I need borrowing facilities. I need trading facilities. I need all these other things that I can do in crypto with a wallet and, and connecting a Web3 wallet that I no longer need the banking system for. So it's going to be really interesting to see how the rest of their economy goes beyond just the kind of touristy fun, I'm going to pay for things in Bitcoin because I can, and moves to, okay, I earned Bitcoin. I'm going to keep it where it is, and I'm going to pay my rent in it. And I'm going to I'm going to pay for my electricity with it. That's going to be really interesting to see how it progresses, how, how different services come out of that, how different technologies come out of it. 
Um, and I'm really glad that, well, I'm glad that they're going through the experiment, not us, because I don't think we could handle it here. But look, they need it. We, uh, I've said this all the time. In, in the Western countries and primarily in the, in the United States, we don't need crypto at all. Our, our banking system works relatively well. We can complain about it here and there, um, but it works pretty well right now and we're okay with it. Um, saying that, I look back 20 years and the phone system worked pretty well without having to have the internet. And here we have the internet, right? Newspapers work pretty well without the internet. Um, I could keep in touch with my friends without Facebook before, but there they are. And, and so I, I think they're being able to pioneer what banking, quote, banking looks like without a bank is going to be super interesting. Yeah, but plus the other thing I think that when people think about uh, Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies is, you know, there's a fee for your money to be held in the bank. Right. It's like your money's held in the bank and every month it costs you $15, even if you're doing nothing. And if you don't keep it above a certain balance, it can cost you more. So suddenly the idea of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies is there's no fee for you to hold this asset. Yeah, it can go up and down, but the value of the dollar goes up and down Yeah, compared to right. the UK pound, you know, but that piece of it whereby banks make so much money in fees. It's like, I think people out there start to understand that. And especially when you're going to sort of, if, you know, I, I hate the term third world country because it should just be one world, but you know, these sort of banking systems in other countries, you look at a place like Iraq, you know, we still do this website rebuilding Iraq. It does oil contracts and construction contracts in Iraq. I know a lot of people out there because we've been doing this now for a number of years. You know, I'm, I'm advised that the last place you want to ever put your money is in an Iraqi bank. Because if you turn up with $20,000 and put it in the bank and you go back the next day, the bank manager's left with your $20,000. You know, that's like, it's they do not want to keep their money there at all because it's too dangerous. That's why they all bank out of Dubai because they feel Dubai is a safer place for them to bank to. So you'll find everybody who's operating in oil and gas in Iraq, unless you're on site in the field, essentially there's no money going in and out of the country. It's all getting done out of Dubai because they just cannot trust their internal banking systems like the Iraq Stock Exchange. I don't know who, the, the, the highest volume the Iraq Stock Exchange is Pepsi, believe it or not. Pepsi and uh, Coke. Uh, Coke. If you go to Libya, they're the best stocks. You know, If you want to invest in stock in Libya, invest in Pepsi because that's the best ones because ultimately their banking systems are so volatile that you do not want to be using their currency and using their banking systems. So suddenly you think of this cryptocurrency, and I think I think that's the next point we really want to get on. You know, we spoke about how it's opening the economy, but basically talk a little bit about the technology, Adam, from a financial perspective. You know, I just spoke about it briefly in terms of fees, but what else in the technology do you think is going to come up that's going to change how the world's going to operate financially? Like I think so much of it, I mean, I get I get really excited talking about decentralized finance, right? I get excited talking about the fact that we can lend money to each other. We can borrow from each other uh, in, in the DeFi world permissionlessly. We can do it in, in a way where um, I can put my money into a lending pool. I can, you know, contribute to a lending pool, which is kind of it's kind of like depositing money in a bank. However, you can go borrow money out of that same lending pool. And most of that interest flows through to me. OK, so it, it takes out a lot of the, the banks now. You might go, well, we have banks like we, we have banks to keep money safe. That's their, their whole purpose. 
Um, however, the as you said, and I don't want to rail on the banks. Like the banks have formed, have created, have been incredibly important in the growth of the world economy. And we could not, obviously we can't be where we are without them for years. We had to outsource so much trust to the banks to be able to, to um, help facilitate the fact that I have money sitting in my pocket doing nothing. You need some money to go drill for oil. You don't have money. I can get money to you. But if I don't know you, we need a bank as an intermediary. That's a, a huge part of what the, 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 the functions that banks had for so long. It was take money from where it's inefficient to where it's more efficient in the economy. But now we have technology that allows us to do those things. And we have technologies that, that allows us to do it. I mean, it sounds funny saying this, but in a pretty safe way. If everyone uses it correctly, I can use uh, lending protocols like Compound and Aave. And they have been incredibly safe. And in, in that way, I can earn some interest on money there. I can contribute to these pools. Others can borrow from them using collateral. And that technology is really important because going back to talking about El Salvador and Panama, going back to talking about Iraq and Iran and Ukraine and, and Dubai and everything, we, we have all connected our economies or, or we, we've all connected goods and services, right? We've connected how we talk to each other. We never connected our money. Our money was always kept separate in separate banks and separate institutions. We had to we had to rely on the banks to talk to each other in order to get anything done. And because of that, the banks had a tremendous amount of power. And so now what we're saying is there are ways that we can transact financially using these using this technology without having to go through the rails that the banks built. And in so doing, we can we can not we can take out some of those fees. I mean, that's a big deal. We can take out a lot of the friction, which is things like I can't send a wire on a Saturday or it takes me four days to send money across the world or something. And they charge a fee for it. And we can go, look, I can send money to anyone anywhere in the world within 15 seconds and it's not going to cost me very much. That That's really powerful. Right. And anyone at any point at any time in the world can go borrow money from one of these lending protocols, provided they have some collateral. That's really important. Because when the fact that I can go to El Salvador and, and I don't have to have a credit card or a debit card or anything, all I need is a crypto wallet. I can go to El Salvador and live my entire vacation without, without asking the bank's permission one bit because everyone there accepts crypto. That's a big deal because what that means is all the people in El Salvador that are working, they can then do that too. That means they can leave their country and they can come here or they can go to Panama or they can go somewhere else. And eventually they're not going to need a they're not going to need a credit card or a debit card either. OK, that, that's a, a really big deal. They, you can borrow and lend. Borrow and lend without a doubt is the driver of the world economy. Without without borrow and lend, we don't have the world economy we have today. We don't have the ability to uh, to, you know, in your world, Alistair, drill for oil. We don't have the ability to do that because they all, they all borrow money. And, and it's not a bad thing. Leverage isn't always a bad thing. It's a bad thing, of course, when you, you know, borrow a whole bunch of money and use your, your $68,000 Bitcoin as collateral. It's not a bad thing when you borrow a little bit to go drill for oil that you know is there. Right. That, that's it's not always bad. You, you have to use someone else's money. So I think the technology that's being built around um, lending is really, really important. I think the technology that's being built around um, obviously, keeping it safe. Insurance, I think, is going to be huge in in DeFi. De decentralized insurance is going to be 
uh, a monster because what it does is it takes out all the different pieces of insurance, which is I pay my premiums to this company. This company essentially puts it in this black box and doesn't tell me what's going on, but they manage all that money. And if I ever need it, if I ever have an accident or if I ever you know, have a car accident or if my business ever has an issue, then maybe they, they pay me some of that money. Well, now you can take out all those different pieces and go, what if Garrett got to contribute to that capital pool too, right? Not just me and my premium, but what if Garrett gets to contribute to that? And if the insurance company is really good at their underwriting, Garrett gets a profit. Garrett gets to earn some yield from that. I mean, that, that's, that's really powerful. It's giving people all these different places to invest their money that they never had before. And it's giving people all over the world the ability to do it. People that didn't have access to banks because they don't trust them in Iraq. Or people even in the United States, where there are like 50 million people here that don't have a bank account. Because, as you said, the fees don't make sense and the friction doesn't make sense. If I get paid every week on a Friday at 5 o'clock and I have to pay my rent on Saturday, I can't do it. Because by the time I go deposit a check in a bank account and it clears on Tuesday, my rent is late. And I, and I can't do that. So what do I have to do? I have to go to a check cashing place and I have to pay them some exorbitant, exorbitant amount of money to get cash to go pay my rent. So therefore, what's the point of ever having a bank account, right? It happens in this country. It happens all over the world. But what if we could all still transact within seconds without having to ask the bank's permission? Well, the technology's there. And once I do that, Alistair, well, now I need access to other banking services like borrowing money, right? Now I can prove that I make money. I can borrow. Something else we're going to see, honestly, that, that we can talk about in here, we didn't talk about the, the crypt, during the, the crypto crash segment, is the tremendous amount of transparency, right? Like we know, we can see on the, the, the blockchain in, in decentralized finance, we can see whose wallet is whose for the most part. We can see what's happening with some of these wallets. We can see when some of these uh, people who have borrowed money on DeFi platforms are going to be liquidated. We can watch it happen in real time or we can go, here's the point at which their liquidation might happen. Let's get prepared for it. Right. The, the transparency is is tremendous. And being able to say, here's who is um, here's who's over leveraged or here's who's under leveraged or here's who's doing it right. We can look at a protocol's treasury and see what they have and who's susceptible. That's tremendously important. You know, and I and I probably need to point out here, too. I apologize. I, I'm doing quite a bit of talking here, but that. Along the way, while these while Celsius has been liquidated and Three Arrows Capital has been liquidated and everything that's happening with Terra, right, and everything coming down, the decentralized finance protocols, the lending protocols like Aave and Compound and Maker have been functioning just fine. They have not had a single hiccup this whole time. OK, so that's that's pretty important because during the covid crash in, in March of 2020, they had some issues. Now we've gotten to the point where they're not having issues. They're handling it exactly like they should. And that's really important because this is a pretty big stress test, right? I mean, ETH dropping from 4,800 to under 1,000, that's a huge stress test for decentralized finance. And it's, it's flying through like nothing happened. So, so how do you see ETH going forward then in terms of, you know, for people to – because. A lot of people don't really understand Ethereum and what it's getting used for as a technology, you know? So mm. I'll bring Garrett into this point here. If you want to give what you think is Ethereum as a technology, and then we'll get to from a financial perspective with Adam. 
Yeah, you know, I, I think they just have, you know, a really interesting thing to add there. You know, when it comes to, you know, as we were talking about insurance and, you know, using like uh, these smart contracts for insurance, you know, one of the things that, you know, Alistair and myself have looked at is the, um, you know, kind of galvanizing the uh, funding structure for the energy industry and, you know, being able to easily invest in a new oil and gas project or something with, um, you know, solar or wind and using, you know, these contracts as a vehicle. And I'd be interested to hear your perspective on that, Adam. Um, so, yeah, like I, I think, it, you know, one, Ethereum, the, 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 the network is really important. It keeps growing. We keep seeing more applications for it. We're going to have the, what's called the merge soon, where Ethereum is going to move from proof of work to proof of stake. Um, and, and I'm not like, I don't comment too much on the, on the price of tokens uh, very often. Um, but at, the, at that point, then there's actually going to be probably less Ethereum created on every block than there is Ethereum burned, right? So we're going to see less and less Ethereum, ETH in the world, ETH being the cryptocurrency for the Ethereum network, less ETH in the world every 15 seconds. Um, that, that's kind of important for the price of ETH, but that's, you know, whether it goes up or down, I don't know. The, the smart contracts that are being built, the fact that there is this huge decentralized network, this huge network of data being processed and is being processed by millions and millions of people, computers interconnected all over the world, meaning it's not owned by anyone and it just keeps running and running and running is so important. So Gary, you were, you were talking about things like, you know, solar energy and, and credits and how that's going to work. That's going to be tremendously important because the Ethereum network um, you know, obviously once the merge happens or once we see other, you know, other things like layer twos, it's going to be tremendously efficient that, that being able to create and show value, be, being able to create tokens if you need to, to denote value or denote ownership. I know, I know, Alistair, you're working with security tokens and utilizing them to actually denote uh, some ownership of something or denote an asset. Uh, and, and the fact that they're programmable are going to be so important because then you can use them for things like collateral. You can use uh, some of those tokens um, for, for lending and borrowing. Um, you can pay income to the tokens if you need to, right? I mean, that, that's, I think it, it's really exciting what's happening. And I think a lot of the applications have been built. Of course, a lot of people built applications for it that, that were, um, that are, you know, nonsensical, that, that were there just to try to, you know, earn 500% return for like a month or something. Uh, and we went way off the rails with that. But now we're back to this point where we go, oh, we had a crash. Here are the main players that are still doing really well. The Ethereum network is still chugging along just like it's supposed to. Um, we, we kind of have a better understanding of why it's important from a transparency perspective, from a security perspective. And um, for, for, you know, Garrett, what you're talking about, is going to be tremendously important when you start talking about insurance and, and, and tokens and paying income to some of these. I think it's, it's going to be fantastic to see what guys like you can do knowing your market and then understanding uh, decentralized finance, understanding these tokens. It's going to be tremendous what you can do from an efficiency standpoint that we've never been able to do before. Yeah. And I, I think when you're looking at, I think what confuses a lot of people as well is, they just think everything's a cryptocurrency. So, you know, and then, so when they see NFTs coming along and tokens coming along, people still think it's all crypto. And I think that's what's confusing, 
Now, it's not confusing to you guys, not confusing to me, because it's obviously we're involved in it. But anyone else coming out there, they're just like, how can there be 14,000 cryptocurrencies? How can there be this many type? And we are involved in security tokens, asset back tokens, trying to tokenize energy projects. You know, when I tell people, if this the whole energy industry gets tokenized, you know, we'll have 100,000 tokens in the energy projects. And that's because that's how many energy projects there are going to be in the world, not because there's anything to do with how many cryptocurrencies and stuff right. like that is in there. And then the other thing which with NFTs coming along that people are starting to, to understand is it's there's so many applications for an NFT. So it's not just a case of they just see bored apes and Snoop Dogg's buying them and selling them. And Snoop Dogg's made 20 million selling bored apes this week. And if you, you know, I follow Snoop Dogg now on uh, Instagram. But he as well, you should. Every everyone should follow Snoop Dogg on Instagram. Yeah, yeah. He, he does a lot of dancing stuff, a lot of stuff with his wife, and that a lot of stuff that he probably, you know, you're not allowed to do in certain countries. Uh, but but then he goes and starts speaking about crypto and stuff like that, and he's obviously well versed in the whole subject area, which is interesting as well. So, but I think for people coming out there, they just it's difficult for them to get a handle on what's happening because it just seems to be information overload coming to them, Adam. You know, so. Yeah. If you're trying to define difference of, you know, cryptocurrencies to NFTs to asset-backed tokens, you know, in a couple of minutes, how would you describe that for just the average viewer to try and understand? Um, I can do it. I, Garrett, do you want to take this first? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I would have to say that there's a big gap, you know, for education, you know, which is something we tried to address with, you know, when we did you know, Blockchain Center Miami, we did Bitcoin Center New York, is, you know, address that education gap and, you know, get people informed so they understand, you know, why certain things are the way they are and, you know, how they can be most effective. So it's um it's really interesting over the years to look back at, you know, all the people we've helped and helped educate since 2014. And, um, you know, I'm really happy to be a part of it. So. Yeah, well, we, you know, we have to educate people a lot. And, and um, there's obviously a lot of naysayers. A lot of people say there doesn't need to be all these crypto. There why there, there need to be all these. Um, and, you know, I've, I've taken to not arguing with them because I'm probably not going to change anyone's mind at this moment. Some of the, uh, like, if I'm going bigger picture, right, and it's do I even believe in this whole, in, in this technology? Do I even believe that this is going to make it? Um, I look back to dot com and say, look, in, in 99 and 2000, you had a tremendous run up in, in stock prices of anything that called themselves dot com. And no one even knew what the Internet was going to be. We didn't know how to use it. Very few people could even use it. Very few people could get online. It was really slow. And it, like all the same things we talk about with crypto. Right. It was slow. It was expensive. It didn't make sense. All I could do, like I could read the newspaper online or I could go buy a newspaper. I'd rather just go buy a newspaper. Like the, you heard all those things. Um, and it's eerily similar to what just happened, right? It, it's same thing. Stock prices went way up for anything. No one cared what it was. No one even understood what they were. Anyone could come out and say, I have a, a dot com. You have all the, the, the celebrity endorsements. You have the Super Bowl ads. You had stadium naming rights. All the same things happened in 2000. And then, and then all the stock prices crashed. Well, after all that, what, what happened before that was all this money went into building an infrastructure that we didn't know we needed yet. 
And so after that, you had a whole bunch of people who, who, learned, who had learned how to program the internet. You had a whole bunch of infrastructure being built. There was, there was internet cables running back and forth across the country. And several years later, everyone's using it, right? And a few years after that, Apple goes, hey, we're going to take the whole internet and put it in your, in your phone. And we were like, why would I need that? That's ridiculous. We're going to put the best camera you've ever had on your phone. And I'd go, that's ridiculous. I have a camera. Nope. I don't take a camera with me anywhere anymore on vacation. My phone is with me all the time. I have access to the internet. I can do whatever I want. I can hail a car. I can take a picture. I can share that picture with literally everybody in the world if I want to. And by the way, now I can pay someone in Bitcoin if I want to as well. Okay, so all of that happened after the crash. We've seen the exact same thing happen, right? Everything was about the price of Bitcoin, the price of crypto, and the price of NFTs for years. No one even, most people didn't even know what was happening. They, we, we couldn't come up with really good use cases for the future. However, we, a lot of us know it's going to be really important. And I, I can't begin to pontificate on some of the use cases that are going to come in 10 years. But now we've had this crash in prices, but the networks are still working just fine. And we're going to see a tremendous amount of growth in the usage of the network. And that's going to drive whatever the value is going to be. I have no idea what the value of Bitcoin and ETH is going to be, what some of these other cryptocurrencies are going to be. Most of them are going to go away because there is no need for them. Or the project that they're a part of is just going to dry up and no one's going to use it anymore. But the ones that are important are going to stick around. NFTs are the idea of a non-fungible token is tremendously important. That is the denotion of, of an asset and the fact that I am the only one who owns that asset at any one point and utilizing this decentralized database to prove so. That's incredibly important. My house is going to be an NFT one day. My car is going to be an NFT one day because that's how we're going to denote assets. And for financial advisors, that's why it's so important to learn this. You have to know what custody looks like. You have to know what it's going to look like for your client to have a digital wallet that owns their that holds their house. That's, that's going to be important, right? It's not always going to be a picture of an ape. It's going to be a piece of art. It's going to be my house. It's going to be my car. It's going to be my business, right? That, that is all tremendously important. At some point, that's going to trickle through to the value of some of these tokens, of some of these crypto assets. We're still not sure how, it's going to, how all that's going to play out. Just like we weren't sure in 2002 how anything that happened on the internet was going to trickle through to the value of Amazon. But you know, eventually they, they worked out okay, right? And Google wasn't even around yet. Yeah, and I, I also think for people, you know, we're talking about tokenizing energy assets and it's, the, it's this tokenization of physical assets that's just about to start this big wave. You know, there's a few real estate projects. The first ATSs have gone live. On the ATSs now, there's not high volume of trading there. But essentially people need to realize that you're buying into these tokenized assets and you're talking about your car, your house, etc. It's not going to fluctuate like a cryptocurrency because essentially it's based on the valuation of the assets itself and to get distributions of the assets. So when we're looking to tokenize energy assets and whether it's oil and gas or we were speaking earlier about potentially solar farm, it's like right now, if you're sitting at home, there is no way in the world for you to own part of a solar farm. It's, it's basically impossible. It's, it's very difficult to own part of an oil field 
It's very, very niche. It's high net worth investors who are essentially connected to the oil and gas operators themselves who are able to buy into an oil project. You know, democratization of ownership is what we're trying to do. But if you look at renewable energy, it's like, how do you own part of a solar farm? How do you own part of a wind farm? You can't. But if the big operators tokenize that and create retail investment for this, suddenly you can be sitting at home, you own... BP token, wind token one, I know British Petroleum, as Obama used to like to call them, they're BP now, but but basically if you go to London, BP is everywhere and there's not one oil rig on any of the BP banners. It's all about their renewable energy technology and doing that. But if you ask anyone else, BP, they're an oil company. You know, that's what it is. They're making huge amounts of money of oil. But when, as we move in this transition in energy, whereby if BP can suddenly tokenize part of a wind farm and then we're all sitting at home and thinking, well, how do I, what does that mean? Well, I own part of this BP NFT, non-fungible or NFST, we're called non-fungible security token, part of this wind token or solar token. And as it produces energy, you get distributions. And that's where it's different from a cryptocurrency. And it becomes more like a stock because suddenly you're getting distributions based on the energy production for it. So now you're owning an asset that you can never own before, an asset class that's been completely out with people's ownership they can now own part of this asset and get distributions based on that. And then, you know, a wind farm life cycles 25 years, 30 years. And then, you know, they'll just, and the places they're going is where it's windy. So they're going to be putting new technology, <laughs> you know, it's, it's the same with the solar farm. You're not going to stick it where it's not, you're going to stick it where it's sunny. So you own part of this thing. So you're suddenly owning an asset that's out with your car, that's out with your house. It's an energy asset that produces this. And if people start thinking about that is it's a long-term asset that gives you distributions that essentially is just going to go up in value over time as well. And that's through an NFT. So that's a, a token for this. And people are, it's not a board ape. It's not just something Snoop Dogg's got in the metaverse that he somehow sold for 25 million to, to um, what's his name? The singer that seems to buy it as well. Justin Bieber. He's another one, but he, he's actually done a metaverse concert. Yeah, have you seen yeah. that? Is this like yeah. is Metaverse content made a fortune? And there's all these people came on with their characters and they yeah. did their Metaverse contract. But he's another guy that's buying into this technology all the time. Jake Paul, Logan Paul, all these guys, they are all making huge amounts of money because they're going into crypto. I saw Logan Paul saying he was laughing because his brother lost 80% of his net worth by investing too much in Bitcoin when the price was too high. You know, he said he should stick to boxing, not investing in yeah. crypto. But it ultimately, you know, you're starting to see these celebrities doing this thing. So people are now sort of interested in this. And I just feel that the token piece of it is going to start coming in more and more because we can understand, oh, wait a minute, this is an asset-backed token and I own a little piece of it. It makes sense to me more than a cryptocurrency that's out with the big ones. Because as you said, Adam, so many of these cryptocurrencies, they're going to disappear because... There's no use case for it. It was just, it's essentially being designed to increase in value. And not only is that token, Alistair, an asset backed token, but it generates, it, it derives income, right? And yeah. on top of that, not only can it derive income by virtue of the, of, of the amount of energy that's produced by this wind farm, but it's completely transparent. So if I own that token and Garrett says, well, I want to buy some, some income, I go, okay, well, you can buy mine. And by the way, you don't have to take my word for it. Go look on chain. You can see exactly how much you can see exactly what it represents. You can see exactly how much income I've derived from it. You can figure out what it's worth to you 
and we can come to an agreement without ever having to know each other, without ever having to trust each other, because all the data is on chain. I'll do you one better, Alistair. So uh, um, Tesla, which I'm sure you're familiar with um, here, who, who's now here in Texas, um, I didn't realize they did this. But a buddy of mine who's on his fourth or fifth Tesla or something had Tesla put solar panels on his house several years ago. And he told me, he said, they will finance the thing for 20 years. I put solar panels on my house. They'll find Tesla will finance it for, for 20 years. Now, my buddy is generating more energy than he actually uses in his house because uh, it's tremendously sunny here. Um, and I said, you know, this is this is important because Tesla is becoming an energy company and not a car company. Right. They, they're that's what they are now. They're an energy company and not a car company. But the interesting thing is now Tesla will actually lease you the solar panels. So you don't own them. You stick them on their house. Tesla leases them to you because, as you know, in Texas, we have deregulated energy, which means I can sell my extra energy back to the grid. So how cool is that, that Tesla is probably going to give me the ability to Tesla is probably going to tokenize that energy. So as the, the panels on my house are producing it, even if I don't own the panels, Tesla is going to tokenize it and probably be able to sell it somehow. Right. They're definitely at the forefront of this. They, Tesla, going back to our DeFi conversation, right? Tesla got a seven point nine million dollar loan to build a uh, a um, repair facility in Texas. Now, Tesla and, and they did so using DeFi. They did so using MakerDAO and, and some others. Now, Tesla doesn't need to go to decentralized finance to get a $7.9 million loan. They have it falling out of their pockets every day. It's a, it's a rounding error. But they did it to test it out. And I guarantee you pretty soon Tesla is going to start letting you, uh, letting you get a loan to buy one of their cars. And it's all going to be a DeFi loan. It's all going to be done through DeFi protocols. They're testing that product out. I bet in a year I'm going to be able to buy a Tesla directly from them. And they're going to have the, the lending facility. It's all going to be DeFi money. None of it's going to go through a bank. Right. They're, yeah. they're testing out stuff like they're, they're But they're going to do the same with tokens and energy. Right. The fact that I can send the energy that's produced from the uh, from the solar panels on my house back to the grid. They're going to tokenize that and figure out a way to, to make that more profitable. And they're going to be uh, one of the largest energy companies in the country because they're not going to have to drill a single thing. Apart from uh, mining for lithium batteries, which they're yeah. about to go in a big way as well, yeah. you know. Because and, and the great. other thing to note is if they if they don't walk the whole thing back like they did the Bitcoin thing a year ago, you know, they walked right. the whole thing back and said we're not doing it anymore. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, which which was more of a I, I believe that was more of an environmental play that that a lot of people said you're the environmental company and here you are investing in this technology that seems to use a whole lot of energy. We don't really like that very much. Um, and, and I think that was that's it seemed to be more of a PR move than anything else. Yeah, but we're, we're happy for but, little kids to be going down the mines right. in Africa to get your lithium. <laughs> but, but keep in mind, Tesla worked is working with some companies here in Texas and they created a solar Bitcoin mining farm using Tesla's uh, solar panels. Yeah, they'll be the biggest lithium mining, mining company in the world, I think. Yep. They're already looking to do a lithium mine in Texas. Yeah. There's course, huge so. amounts of lithium, lithium in America. It's like it doesn't make sense that 80% of our lithium comes from China. Yeah. So, and it's just, and then, you know, let, let's be realistic. How are they mining that lithium out there? You know, I've seen things of how they mine lithium out in Africa, 
And it's just absolutely horrendous. You've got little kids going down mines there and people are just saying, well, I'm getting my Tesla car. I don't have a, I have a problem with the oil price of a problem oil and gas, but I've got no problem with a six year old little black kid in one of these places in Africa going down mining my lithium for 26 cents a day because I need my Tesla battery. Well, people that, you know, that it, because the other thing that. about their, about their business model that I, I loved, I love this. Their business model, their official motto should be out of sight, out of mind, because the coal companies, they love Tesla. They, they love it. I go up there. They have a Tesla plugged in outside of the coal, the Lignite Energy Council in North Dakota. They love it because, you know, the coal is out of sight, out of mind. They're burning coal down the road. But little do people know, just unbeknownst to them, that grid, they, you know, that's the grid they're plugging into when they plug in a Tesla. So yeah, it, it's hey, hilarious, you know. I'll tell you what, I have a Tesla. I love it, especially now with with high gas prices. It's fantastic. But what I'll it, tell you it's is... It's a wicked car. I'll give you that. Man, it's, yeah. it's, well, it, it's a computer with wheels is what it is. And um, I will I will try to draw the parallel between Tesla and crypto other than the fact that Elon Musk tends to talk about crypto a lot. And the parallel I can draw is... For years, we talked about some sort of electric cars, hybrid cars, whatever, right? I mean, we, we you know, the Prius and such that, that was kind of a joke. Um, we, we talked about that for years, but no one would do it because all the, why are the car companies going to do it? Right. What, what would what would um, propel them to do it? Well, it took someone from a tech person from the outside to go, I'm going to completely redesign this because I have no background designing cars. I don't care. All I know is it has to fit into a certain highway lane. That's pretty much it, right? There are certain rules for a car. Other than that, I don't really care. Everything else is going to be a computer. We're going to put monster batteries on it, uh, under it, and that's it. But, you know, and, and let's see where we get from there. And it took someone from the outside. And even then, it was kind of a joke, like, oh, my gosh, there's not enough places to charge it. And it's expensive to put a, a charger in your house and and, you know, all these things with Tesla, but they just kept going and going and going. Right. And now the infrastructure is starting to be built out more where you can charge. Right. I drive from here to Austin a lot. I know exactly where I can go charge my car on the way and when I get to Austin and on the way back. Oh, yeah. Um, the and, innovation and, is vastly yeah. the curve for it's insane. Yeah, I'm sure there will so, be, you know, like you were saying with the solar, I think it'll They'll reach a point, you know, you give it 15 uh, years. I think, I think Tesla will end up becoming an oil and gas company, energy company as well. I just, he's already uh, spoken uh, about gas because I think the thing is like, there's Germany now saying, you know, well, the Germany is having to switch on the coal plants big time right now because of what's uh, happening with Russia. Oh, yeah. So, you know, because they're the big manufacturer in Europe. So they're about to switch on the coal plants in a huge way. So their CO2 emissions are going to go massive right oh, yeah. now in Europe because what yeah. it is. But, yeah. but they, what they said, the German economy, it was one of the economists there, was we want natural gas to be included with our ESG targets because it creates so little emissions compared to coal and compared to oil. And then you've already heard the messages from Musk and Tesla like we want to start getting involved in gas because essentially we can make this stuff net zero. So if Elon Musk comes out and says, well, look, here, I'm, I'm producing gas net zero – and I need this thing to keep the grid going. We should just do gas. Let's get rid of coal. Let's get rid of this. He's already talking about that. And he'll go in and become a massive natural gas company. Oh, yeah. And the same way he's done the car business, I think he's going to change yeah. the oil company oh, yeah. based on but, basically but, but, that same premise. 
Yeah. And, and real quick, like the, the analogy I, I was going with there was it took someone from the outside to create this electric vehicle and keep pushing it forward in, in a way that people wanted it. Right. It's not it's not, you know, where I can barely fit inside of it. It's a really super nice car, insanely fast. Right. All the all these great pieces of it. The technology is phenomenal. Uh, but now what we're seeing is every major car company has electric vehicles now. Right. Like they, they realized oh my gosh, one, it can be done. It can be done efficiently. We're losing market share. People actually want this, right? The same thing is happening after, is going to happen in the financial system that says for years, we've been wanting ways to be able to send money back and forth across the world or, um, or, or not pay bank fees or whatever, but the banks weren't going to do it. Well, it took this technology from the outside to do it. It's going to take little El Salvador and Panama accepting crypto, making it part of their of, of their country to show the rest of the world it can be done. And then we're just going to do it and, and everyone's going to jump in. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, gentlemen, I got to jump off here. I got to yeah, take yeah, another call because it's two, but well. it was wonderful having you, Adam. And, um, you know, right. look forward to connecting and speaking more about this stuff. Right. Um, thanks, thanks for Jared. being on today. OK, sure. See you, later. you too. So, yeah, so, well, that's sort of, it, it just, it shows the technologies just coming in there. And I just think, you know, they're talking about becoming a mining company and they're talking about becoming a gas provider as well. And, you know, that's what, one of the reasons also this ability to go to Texas is he's going to be allowed to do that, whereby if he had a headquarter in California, they're not going to want to, to continue to be a gas company. But if you think of a place like San Diego, where I stay, you know, this whole city it tends to be green, but it's powered by gas. You know, the only feasible way for them to actually become green here, because so much of the land's protected around here as well, Adam. So it's not like easy to just stick in massive uh, onshore wind turbines and onshore solar pl uh, plants to power this. And it'll just come down to sort of nuclear energy, gas. Both of those are essentially net zero going forward. And you speak to watch Elon Musk speaking about this, you know, it's only a matter of time before he just becomes a gas company. And if he becomes like a gas company, he'll go into business against the major oil and gas operators and they'll have to change the way they're doing it because already they no longer want to be seen as an oil company. They're changing their names. Look, there's the Norwegian company. They went from Statoil to Equinor. You know, it was like a huge change. Shell, BP, they changed their name from British Petroleum to BP because they no longer want the word petroleum anymore. There's less and less people want to use the word oil because it's got this negative connotation and what it is. But if Tesla go in and become a natural gas company, and then people look at that and look at the way he's essentially using natural gas at net zero, are we all going to suddenly just accept that? Well, I think we will, you know, because he's sort of redefining the market space once again, you know, and it's the same with mining. It's like we are not prepared to look at the mining of lithium right now, because people don't want to see the way it currently does it. The mining of lithium, for people to understand, is worse than fracking. You know, the, the argument is, oh, but they're used to make renewable energy, so in the long run, it's going to be better. It's horrible. It, it, just people should Google mining of lithium and see what happens and see who's doing it right now to understand what's going into your batteries right now, because they don't want to see that because they, suddenly it doesn't make them green. It's like Apple products. People don't want to complain about Apple products being made from coal power in China because I don't want to, I don't want people to think, well, wait a minute, I'm using a product that's powered by coal. 
You know, it's just like, and Apple are smart enough to subcontract it to Foxconn and therefore Foxconn take all the hit for the CO2 emissions. And then Apple just have to stick some solar panels in one of their factories uh, or one of their call centers here. Hey, look, we're a green company apart from our product. You know, so it's like people are starting to dive deep. And I think that's what the blockchain brings. It brings this ability for people to understand information because then these companies, when it's refutable, people can look into this and start to look at, well, how much CO2 emissions was created to manufacture my product? Golf's another one. You know, we're talking about golf with the, the last week, the Saudi Golf League and trying to give them a bad rep and, you know, this... Uh, you know, we're happy to take the Royal, but we're not happy for these golfers to play in their league because it's messing things up. But every single golf product is powered by coal from China. The title is golf balls are made from coal. If you're using a golf ball, it's made from coal. It's these big factories, tailor-made, titleist. They all go out. Everything's manufactured in China, right next to the coal power plants. That's what's doing it. It's the cheapest energy source. So when you stand on that first tee and you hit a golf ball, just with the knowledge that it was coal to power it. Oh, but wait a minute. I'm walking around some green grass and trying to do my bit for the environment. You know, it, it takes away this argument of everything being simplistic and for people to understand. And it's back to what you were saying before as well, Adam. It's like when we had the newspapers... We only had one bit of information. So if you only go to Fox News and you only take your news from Fox News, which is essentially Rupert Murdoch's company, and there's nothing that ever gets printed in Fox News without, not with Rupert Murdoch signs it off, without Rupert Murdoch's thought process behind it. You People have to understand that. You're getting conditioned to think a certain way. And what the blockchain's allowing people to do and what the internet's allowing people to do is they can dive deeper into this information and this carbon tracking stuff that's coming out there is people can start to understand it more and start to realize that, wait a minute, I'm not happy with that. And in the same way Tesla's changed the market space for everyone now wanting electric cars, the consumer is going to force companies like Nike, Adidas, TaylorMade, Titleist, all the big apparel companies to suddenly think that, well, wait a minute, I don't want to wear a product like this product here is made from coal out in China. It's like, this This is made from coal. It's like, well, wait a minute, I, I don't want that. I want it to be made from renewable energy. I want it to be powered by wind turbines. And all they do is, I saw Nike, Nike have written a letter to their suppliers. Oh, please, that was it, this is it. We've written a letter to suppliers asking them to switch to renewable energy. Good luck with India, uh, Indonesia and Vietnam and China all changing. They're not going to change anything. Why would they do it? Because you want the cheapest product there so you can get the highest margin. You're not forcing that there. And I think that's what the, the blockchain's coming. And, you know, and a lot of people don't like everything Elon Musk says, but the thing what I like about him, not only the fact that everything he's done is the fact he's pretty straight shooter in terms of what it is, you know? People might not want to do it. You know, Garrett's always going on about the, the coal production, but the whole grid's still powered by coal here. It's still there. You get the odd day, but it's renewable energy, but, and I still don't think we should get rid of coal. It's like, when you had that big freeze in Texas because all these wind, wind turbines froze, you know, when it went so cold, and then suddenly people didn't have heat for two weeks, it's like, we should have the coal sitting there. Why should old people freeze to death just because we think we should go green when all your products are manufactured by coal anyway? So what does it matter? All your Amazon stuff is manufactured by coal. It's like we should just have it there to use 
to basically heat the houses until we can get our wind turbines and all the technology back up. And it's like an energy mix going forward. I think nuclear's got a big place to play in it. I think gas is going to come, it, it, gas is going to be huge. The world's going to be powered by gas because essentially we talk about natural gas net zero, but really that's the, the future that's coming with that as well, Adam. So there's, you know, there's multiple things all sort of connected to this going forward. So, so appreciate your time today, then, uh, Adam. I know we're, we're running you. over a little bit. Thank We've you. Got... That, that's okay. I'll, always good to uh, to to talk about it. And I look, this is a subject you know I love talking about. I, I love uh, you know helping to, to educate, give opinions, give perspectives um, that that are different from, I guess, just number go up or uh, you know you need to invest. My, I think my you know, our perspective is you just need to learn about it. That, that's the thing. You just need to learn the system. It's it's coming whether you like it or not. It That doesn't mean that I think all the prices are going to go up or the values of crypto are going to go up. It just means the system's important and we're all going to be using it one day. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's bringing that in. And then, you know, I've, I've been doing my own NFTs, believe it or not, the old Bitcoin libertarian NFTs. Yeah. So every week or every other week, we bring one up. But uh, And I usually get a speech from, you know, or a little quote from someone here. But I love this one from uh, Pope John Paul II. Actually, my favorite pope, by the way. I've been to the Vatican. It wasn't him that was doing it. it was the, but he's still the favorite pope there. So if you get a chance to go get blessed by the pope, you know, I've, I've been over there and yeah. got blessed by the pope. But this is the future starts today, not tomorrow. And I think that basically for everyone at home sitting there, you know, we're heading into recession. It's two two quarters of negative growth, but opportunities out there for people to understand. And I think opportunities going forward. And, you know, I just think uh, whether you're religious or not, I think this quote is the key for everything going forward. You know, it starts. Uh, hey, I, I love the quote. I'm going to save it and show it to my wife. Yeah, yeah. So that's it as well. So, and that's a big up for the Catholic Church for me. You know what I mean? So, uh, they, they always do all right in a recession, by the way, Adam. <laughs> yeah, it. Uh, they they they've seen a few uh, booms and busts yeah, in their day. They know how to they know how to manage risk. Yeah, they definitely know how to manage risk. And yeah, their and their their income doesn't slow down. No, no, they're, they're, probably they're probably goes up. <laughs> The recruitment drive goes back up yeah, as well. Yeah, so, yeah, so yeah. perfect. So, yeah, no, no. Well, thanks very much for coming on the show, Adam. Really appreciate it. It's always so insightful for people. We'll get you on uh, in the future as well as we All develop right. the things. So, thanks, so everyone Al. out there, thanks I'll, very always, much. Always good to have you. Thanks so much, man. Okay. Thanks very much, everybody. Bye. You've been watching Boom, It's on the Blockchain. My name is Alistair Caithness. Have a nice day. <laughs>